The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the Frankenmuth Historical Association. Some episodes may contain subjects that are uncomfortable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and guten tag, and welcome to Historians and Lederhosen. I'm Garrett. I'm Nathan. And I'm Malcolm. We are three historians from the Frankenmuth Historical Association, located in Frankenmuth, Michigan. The association owns and operates a seven-gallery museum, a historical log house, Fisher Hall, and a collection of over 30,000 artifacts. Check those out at frankenmuthmuseum.org or right on our Facebook page at Frankenmuth Historical Museum. This podcast will tell the stories of Michigan's Little Bavaria to the real Bavaria and anything in between. Be sure to tune in every other week and listen to the three of us and our guests as we dive into the wide world of history. Auf Wiedersehen. All right, everybody. Willkommen to another episode of Historians and Lederhosen. How are you two? Doing Stop well. asking me how I am. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Just get on with it. The <laughs> listeners don't care. They're here for information. They've already read the title. They just want us to get on with it. <laughs> it also doesn't help. We're recording multiple episodes in one day. And so it's just, how are you two? Well, not, not much different from an hour ago, Garrett. Yeah, I'm, I'm so just. Sorry. I guess. I guess that's a good point to the listener. These are at least a couple of weeks off apart, but I'm tired of being asked for the fourth time today how I'm doing. I'm very annoyed by repetitive questions. <laughs> All right, so we got the bullying of the intern out of the way. Um, and for our first segment. <laughs> All right, so a while ago we explained how the Upper Peninsula became part of Michigan with our episode on the Great Toledo War. If you haven't already, go and give that one a listen. It's a pretty good episode with no bias at all. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So with the acquisition of the Upper Peninsula as a result of that war, there posed a new problem. How do we get there? Um, And today, we're going to explain how that happened with the building of the Mackinac Bridge. But first, let's play Two Truths and a Lie. You guys ready? guys ready for two truths and a lie? Yeah, let's do it. Hit me. All right. So the f- I'll say all three in a row, and then if you want me to repeat any, let me know. This first one. All right. So <laughs> the Mackinac Bridge uses 4,851,700 steel rivets and 1,016,600 steel bolts. If you tell me it's 701 steel rivets, I'm... I don't know what I'm going to do. I've been you. I've been known <laughs> I've been known to pull stuff like that. You're going to be a dead unpaid in 10. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the bi- bridge was built so sturdily that it would take a category 3 hur- hurricane to cause it to sway. The Mackinac Bridge is currently the fifth longest suspension bridge worldwide and the longest in the western hemisphere. Okay, so we got a lot of steel rivets and a lot of steel <laughs> bolts. Millions. We have sturdy enough to withstand a Category 3 hurricane and the fifth longest suspension bridge. Michigan and those hurricanes, uh, you know. Category 3. That, uh, <laughs> that's that's the one that's throwing me. I believe the first. So, Nathan, I believe the first one. It's so specific that like, and, and I believe it as well. I think I feel like I did enough research to know that that number is give or take. Like, okay. <laughs> correct. Right. Um, it's, I think it's two or three. Two seems realistic. Um, 
Category five is the worst type of hurricane, yeah. correct? So we're correct. Tra- it, yeah. For, and they go from one to five? Yeah. Okay. So and I can, think five is like 204 miles an hour. So category three is probably. Also consider that Saginaw's, Saginaw, like this region, has been getting like 65 mile an hour wind gusts, like pretty consistently this winter. Like think about how, how strong the winds are consistently in Michigan. I'm going to say the third statement is Isn't false, that it's the fifth longest suspension bridge and the longest, longest in the Western, in the Western hemisphere. hemisphere. I don't think it's the fifth longest. I think it's second or third. I know it's not the first longest, sure, but I think it's second or third, not fifth. That's my Let's guess. go three. Let's go three. We worked together you. on this one. <laughs> so both of you are actually wrong. Ah, so <laughs> suspension bridges are meant to sway. That's mm-hmm. why that's their whole point. So I, when I was doing my research, it says that at like the middle, that middle deck in between the two towers can mm-hmm. sway a um, anywhere between like one and fifty some feet at oh any gosh. given moment. And I remember like as a kid in um, in third grade, I, this is a core memory of mine. One kid was like, if you sit and focus really hard when you're on the bridge, you can feel it swaying. Don't So every that. time as a kid, <laughs> I would sit there and like grip, so hard. grip my seat and I'm like, are we swaying? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I now have a, an immense fear of feeling the swaying I mean, on you, the bridge. You at least got to get used to it as a youper, right? Are you used to it now? Yeah, I mean, we go ever since I turned 16 and started to drive across like one of within the first month of me being able to drive alone, like with my license, I drove across the bridge alone. And I remember calling my mom from like a gas station in Mackinac city, telling her that I was crying so much. I couldn't (laughs) keep going because I was going to my grandparents and she's like, you're fine. You made it across. And I'm like, I'm like, it doesn't mean I'm fine. And then when I went home for break, um, like last for over winter break i went during that one day when it was like snowing and then we also had like the crazy wind and they had closed the bridge to high profile vehicles and i i drive my little saturn ion so it's not high profile (laughs) at all and i remember i my my like hands were sweating so much how hard i was gripping the wheel and i kept saying the hail mary over and over again (laughs) and there was like two wind gusts where i literally moved into the other lane and i'm like i'm gonna die today (laughs) okay so i have an immense fear of the Mackinac bridge wait someone who was born and raised in the lower peninsula that's terrifying I don't want to. So, cross what the was the false statement? You to. actually haven't told us. the The false statement was, was the bridge two. is built so sturdily. Oh, okay. Because it's meant to sway. It's it's meant to move. Oh, so that okay. Well, so sturdily that Come it can withstand. On. I mean, I've that was. Is it poor writing? Yeah, that is poor writing. Because I would assume that Cheap so sturdily shot. means that like it cannot like that it be blown over that it can't be destroyed well, by a by in a, the in or, like uh, the grade three hurricane. Not the, that it like can. The process, yeah, like, like the the bridge, when they were coming up with concept designs, one of the first initial like bridge designs was shot down because it wasn't a suspension bridge because mm-hmm. they were like, there's so much wind, like you can't you can't just build a bridge and expect it to stand. So I don't like that wording. I thought like that was you're you're you know Nathan might be that teacher that gives you like five option A's in a row, <laughs> but you're that teacher that just like lets one word <laughs> fail a student, and I much hate you more than F. the type of student Nathan is. <sighs> All right, so with that, we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> explain how the mighty mighty Matt came to be, and we're gonna start with a little bit about life before the bridge. 
So the first question, and I'm gonna, I'm just gonna ap- ask this open ended: Why would you even want to connect the peninsulas? What are your guys' thoughts? I, I don't know. Why would you? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this episode might be full of a lot of lower peninsula bias coming from me. Sorry, I'm trying to think of every word in your question so that I'm not misled. <laughs> why would you even, as opposed to why would you odd? <laughs> Does that mean we have to or we don't have to? I'm like now, now I can't trust anything you say to me because if I take it at face value, I'm going to get the crash wrong. <laughs> all right. Well, with that, so according to all the internet sources, <laughs> I mean, I assume seriously, like resources, mining Fair. especially, it was probably maybe a big thing, but a lot of lumber up there to transport yeah, down. Yeah. So according to all the internet sources that I consulted in my entire, my entire like, wealth of research about the Mighty Mac, I was told that the Upper Peninsula was entirely irrelevant before the bridge was built. <laughs> and <laughs> They're not wrong. As a youper, <laughs> I, would, I would tend to agree. Harsh. <laughs> I would tend to agree. Um, but for real, so despite the rich history of Native American and then their Native American history and then their interaction with European settlers throughout the years, according to the internet, the Mackinac Bridge brought the Upper Peninsula culture. So... Hmm. Thank you. And all jokes You're aside, the culture. why on earth? Why on earth would you even need to connect the peninsulas? The UP doesn't have running water. Why would you even want to be there? And as a Uper, I would wish that the bridge wasn't built so you guys would stop coming. But no, for real. Nathan has a good idea with like the industry and mining and connecting logging and all that. But in actuality, that's not the primary motivation. You have to think that in the because the bridge was built in 1957, so in those like that century and uh, and change before when Michigan became a state, the primary like um, economic trading center of the Midwest of this region was Chicago, and even from the Upper Peninsula, like as long as there's enough roads to get you to the like mi- like mi- Lake Michigan shoreline, you can get to Chicago throughout Lake Michigan pretty easily. So like connecting the bridge to to the lower peninsula or connecting the upper peninsula to the lower peninsula. It was necessary, but not really. So the primary motivation actually was tourism because as highways got more developed in the lower peninsula and made their way up into Northern Michigan to the Straits, Straits of Mackinac area and around Mackinac city and like Sheboygan, there was more need for people to make it to the upper peninsula because they're, they were like, I'm at the top of the world. And then people were like, no, there's more, there's more up there. We won a war for this. <laughs> um, so no. So yeah, other than other than like in industry and tourism, those were kind of just like the big motivations. Um, also, one Lansing newspaper reposted a Traverse City story in the 1880s that said that Michigan, if Michigan wanted to be part of a major east-west like thoroughfare, like moving across the country, there needed to be a connection between the upper and lower peninsula, and. Just a little bit more prior to um, prior to the bridge being built, the lower and upper peninsulas were like obviously still connected. They're part of the same states. The upper peninsula would send representatives to Lansing for our state legislature. But even to this day, a lot of the western upper peninsula is much more closely related to Wisconsin. There's it's easier to travel from one from like the UP to Wisconsin than it really is even today with a bridge to the lower peninsula. And one of the like one of my like number one pieces of evidence for that is show me a lions fan in iron mountain. 
all of them are fans of the Packers because there's just a much closer like relation to Wisconsin than there is to the lower peninsula. And even like growing up in the upper peninsula, a lot of kids, even from my high school, look more towards Wisconsin schools, even though you're paying out-of-state tuition. They look to Wisconsin schools just because that's all they've ever really known. A lot of shopping trips, instead of going to Detroit, driving the eight hours, will drive four hours to Appleton. Um, so really the lower peninsula or the lower peninsula and the upper peninsula only became more connected with the bridge. And even then in the early stages, it was seven fifty each way for a trip across the bridge. That was the, the toll payment was $7 and 50 cents. So other than that, Nathan, do you want to, do you want to tell us a little bit about the bridge's origins? I sure can. So, um, <clears throat> obviously one thing, um, is the question of how do people travel prior to the bridge being built, right? And before I've, I mean, it was probably years ago that I realized this, but I didn't realize that the Mackinac Bridge was built so late. I mean, that seems yeah. super late to me. What did you say, 57 or 1957. 57. That's super That's late. That's 120 um, years after we became a state. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, okay, we have this entire Upper Peninsula, but... Yeah, let's swim there. Like. It's also like, like, sorry <laughs> to cut you off for a minute, but it's even crazier because because of the copper boom and like there was more minerals in the Upper Peninsula than like more mineral wealth and created more economic wealth in the Upper Peninsula than the entirety of the California Gold Rush. So at that time, Calumet, like up in the Keweenaw Peninsula, is almost as far north as you can get in Michigan. There was over 100,000 people. So in the 1870s, they considered making that the state capital. But imagine the state capital being entirely unreachable. Like just, (laughs) there's no way you can get there. So just like imagine that. That's just crazy to me. (laughs) It is a fascinating history. Um, But seriously, how... How did people actually get to the UP before the bridge was built? So first, it was it was ferries, right? Um, and actually, the first ferry that was constructed was in 1923. Um, its name was Ariel. It could actually transport 20 cars, um, but it actually went out of service at the end of its first season. So like one <laughs> season, <laughs> yeah. Ariel didn't make it very long. She's uh, under the sea. <laughs> oh man, I. We need a. <laughs> just no, I'm not dignifying sounds. that one. No, <laughs> I didn't mind it as a dad. That was, that was decent. Um, so from 1923 to 1957, there were actually nine different ships that helped ferry people and vehicles over to the UP. Um, during that time, 12 million vehicles and 30 million passengers were transported to the UP or between the UP and the Lower Peninsula. Um, when there's, there was one ferry, the biggest one was called Vacation Land, actually. Um, and it was 360 feet long. It could carry 150 cars. And it was part of, um, at the time, a five-vessel fleet that altogether, it could transport about 500 vehicles at one time across the straits, right? That's wild. Um, but ferries, like we were talking about with Ariel, it, it only lasted one season. There was a lot of maintenance. It, was, it took a lot of time, right? I mean, you had strict schedules that people had to be by. And so it was tough traveling using these ferries. Um, and for a little more context today, about 12,000 cars pass over the bridge today, like per day, per day. So imagine trying to do that with a fleet of ferries, Mm -hmm. right? That Mm -hmm. would take an enormous amount of time, um, an enormous fleet. So, in 1883, we start to get appeals for people to want to actually build a bridge, um, right? This is 70, 74 years 
before the bridge was actually built, um, people started calling um, for the building of one. And so there was actually a year-long um, experiment in 1883 to try to transport people across the straits by boat. Um, you could say it went swimmingly um, because <laughs> most people would have been better off probably swimming over. <laughs> um, ah, um, but so this was pretty much a failed experiment in the 1800s. Um, it just it just took way too long. Um, so then conversations started to develop around um, should we build a bridge over the water? Um, there was actually one idea to build a floating tunnel on <laughs> top of the water. Oh, wow. I believe that it. sounds terrifying. <laughs> Not what I want to be in. Mm-hmm. Actually, I lived in Miami for a few years, and there's one tunnel. Um, I don't know if it's connected to 95. It goes under one of the like, inlets into Miami. Oh, wow. It's like under the water. Mm-hmm. That always terrified me. Didn't <laughs> like doing that. I just don't like tunnels, period. <laughs> <laughs> Not a tunnel fan, eh? No. <laughs> um, so at the end of 83, um, there was actually another bridge that was built, the Brooklyn Bridge. Um it's important to this story because it received some really widespread coverage, right? The newspapers covered it, and people in the UP picked it up. Um, actually, um, St. Ignace, there were a few people, a store owner, that picked it up and said, hey, let's build a bridge using that same sort of design and across the streets, right? Made sense. Um, but the talk, the talks around building a bridge, they just kept stalling for various reasons, right? Um Probably the main reason I would say is just while the demand was there from Ubers, there just wasn't enough Ubers at this point to really start the rally. What, what kind of right? blows my mind is um, you're you're going to get to it, but the Grand Hotel owners, mm-hmm. one of them being Cornelius Vanderbilt, like the the railroad tycoon. I never mm-hmm. knew he had such close ties to Michigan, but he was one of the people that like use that that tourist tourism like argument because he's like he's like we have one of the finest hotels in the country and the only way to get a business is if it's easier to get to Mackinac Island and I I always was curious because Vanderbilt like the college always blew my mind and I'd see that sign when I'm driving down 75 from northern Michigan I see the sign for Vanderbilt and I'm like oh Vanderbilt's in Michigan no it's in Tennessee and I'm still confused by that (laughs) (laughs) when I when I actually read the part about Vanderbilt I was like oh okay well here comes the building the bridge we got a really rich guy who's going to help finance mm-hmm. it or something like that. No, no. no. <laughs> you didn't have didn't enough happen. sway. Um, so we get all the way into the 1930s until talks really start to pick up steam again. Um, this was the point where they actually proposed like a floating tunnel. Um, and another proposal was for a series of bridges and causeways that would essentially connect Sheboygan with St. Ignace, right? Um so this made some sense, but cost and the logistics of building that many bridges and such a short amount of time was also like 1930s <laughs> building methods. Mm-hmm. Like think about like this a series of bridges from Sheboygan to Saint Ignace. Well, and then you have the Great Depression happens, right? So <laughs> try uh, building a bridge during that. <laughs> but <laughs> the Great Depression actually did provide um, a potential opportunity because of a federal program, uh, the Public's Work Administration, which part of its task was to actually facilitate a lot of construction uh, projects around the country um, to give jobs to people, to enhance the infrastructure here in the U.S. And so people had hopes that it was this point, right, with the Public's Work Administration, now we finally have it. We can get funding. So they petitioned for funding, and no, they were denied again. They conducted traffic studies, geological studies, like, Ice and water, so they 
They studied everything. They were like, okay, this will work. Let us build a double suspension bridge. Give us the money. No. <laughs> well, you have um, to remember the UP was irrelevant before the bridge, so why would you want to connect them? <laughs> that's apparently what um, people that's what thought. what it keeps coming down to. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and talks were just thwarted again and again and again like this. Um, so bridge builders, they finally had to kind of get creative to secure financing, right? So they came up with a plan to actually sell bonds to fund the construction of the bridge. They need, they found out they would need $86 million worth of bonds. Um, and finally, the, right, they started doing this in the late 40s. By 1953, um, they finally sold enough bonds to do this. Um, in the meantime, Woo. they also... yeah. <laughs> they also they also passed uh, some legislation to help fund like the maintenance of the bridge. Um, so there was actually uh, taxes from license plates and from gasoline as well. This would be the, the way that they would fund the maintenance of the bridge. So finally, right after seventy years of discussion, surveys, planning, the bridge would finally be built. Woo. Yeah, woo! Here comes culture. <laughs> Uh, so I'll turn it over to you, Malcolm, now for a bit more in-depth on the actual building of the bridge. Okay. I'm yeah, pretty yeah, excited yeah. for this. Cool. Um, I'm not going to spend like too, too much time on it just because it is a lot of like technical engineering gobbledygook. Mm. Yeah, that's boring. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, to, to start, the main designer was Dr. David B. Steinman. He was kind of the one hired to be the... Um, the forerunner for this project and really figure out how it could be done. Um, and the building of the bridge and his design was very much influenced by the lessons learned from the construction of the first Tacoma Narrows Bridge, which unfortunately failed in 1940. And the big reason was a little bit of what we got into right at the beginning of this episode, which was high wind and wind resistance. So as Garrett pointed out in a very roundabout way, <laughs> a bridge that is too sturdy can actually not sustain against high winds because it doesn't have any give or pull. Um, and that when you're building large, large suspension bridges like this, that um, especially over water where there are high winds, the bridge has to be... Uh, Flexible, I guess, mm. is probably the best word. It has Someone to be flexible. Someone explain the Zilwaukee Bridge to me, then. Like, the Zilwaukee <laughs> Bridge, like, that's so high and not a suspension bridge. Garrett, you can submit a request for an episode <laughs> topic at a later date. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> No. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of what uh, what Steinman really had to figure out here was how could he build a suspension bridge the length that it had to be to accomplish this without having to do multiple different little bridges across the way, one big long suspension bridge that could withstand these really, really high winds. And, and what length are we talking here? Is it five miles? Is that it's what it is? It's like just, just under five miles. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was just curious. Um, so Steinman's analysis of suspension bridge stability suggested that deep stiffening trusses uh, could support the bridge deck in addition to an open grid roadway to reduce air resistance. So this is kind of what Garrett was getting into was it's that open grid um, roadway that allows air to kind of more freely pass through the bridge. So it's not coming up against one uh, sturdy hard surface that's going to then over time crumble and crunch it. Um, the air is able to 
conveniently flow through with these kind of four towers that are sort of in the middle that are um, much more sturdy, but then kind of give that room for for um, airflow. So basically, the most successful thing to reduce the wind resistance and allow for airflow uh, was to cancel any kind of air lift. So that was what was happening with previous bridges is that they weren't allowing that airflow and that air was able to get underneath the bridge essentially and lift it up and basically uh, enable the bridge to start flying essentially. <laughs> um, but obviously the bridge can't fly because it's you know secured <laughs> to the ground so it just rips apart. That was kind of the lessons learned that Steinman was really trying to, um, to get into here into here. So they actually built the bridge not from one side to the next. They actually started in the two separate places that the bridge was going to be and met in the middle. So groundbreaking began in San Ignace on May 7th, 1954. And then the very next day, um, they started building in Mackinac City on May 8th. It was estimated to cost around 70 million in total, but the final cost ended up being about a hundred million. So, um, Fire that accountant. <laughs> yeah, I wonder, I wonder where they um, uh, got the rest of the funds from. Yeah, um, so again, it kind of went back to those bonds and those taxes. They were able to make a lot of agreements with the state of Michigan okay. um, to kind of defer payment over a 20-year period, I believe. So that's where, like, and, and a lot of time, that's just that's just the reality of building costs. Anyone that's ever done any home improvements in a major way knows that the cost has to be a little elastic <laughs> in order to accomplish. And as we most know, too, like Michigan is pretty famous for roadway construction that lasts forever, and that's because you just don't know what you're going to find when you start ripping things apart and when things start going in um you might have the perfect crew you might not have the perfect crew there's a lot of factors in here that can really change price and estimations um so let's go through the steps of actually building this bridge so Step one is sink the large double-walled cylinder. So these are the big kind of towers, I guess most people would call them. When you look um, at the at a picture of the bridge or where you're crossing the bridge, there's about four of these towers, which are these large double-walled cylinders. And these were formed, um, these formed the bases of the two main lower uh, piers. And they had to be sunk down actually into the bedrock on the lake floor, um, which is pretty scary. And we'll get into that a little bit there. But um, that was kind of the first step was to actually go out to where they had to be and sink them actually into the bedrock of the lake floor. Um, Step two was bringing in a lot of iron workers to string the immense amount of cabling that had to be strung. So about 500 workers uh, were housed in St. Ignace um, to be able to do this. And they constructed a catwalk of... um, cyclone fence, which was installed to allow workers to navigate between the bridge towers and install the cabling. Um, this was pretty scary. This, this, uh, this like catwalk fencing was really high up in the air. Cause this was to actually install the cabling all along. So it wasn't a lot, like it wasn't like you were just a couple feet above the water. You are hundreds of feet in the air installing all of this cabling. And the cabling was really intense. The cables were close to 25 inches in diameter. That's so heavy. That's that's a pretty big that's a pretty thick cable you know yeah. if you know what I mean, um, and more than uh, twenty four thousand miles of wire were used in the two main bridge cables. Um, so once all the cabling was done, step three was to construct the the road. So the inner lane on the middle span of the bridge includes an open grid riding surface. Uh, This was installed to allow, again, that wind forces um, to pass through the bridge to allow for that flexibility, as Garrett mentioned. The roadway of the bridge actually is able to sway about, what did you say, 25 miles? It's like 
It's like 50 feet either way. Oh, 50 feet. Yeah, sorry. 25 miles. 25 miles. Yeah. all the way over in Wisconsin. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Your drive just got a lot longer. You got a little bit of whiplash. <laughs> That'd be horrifying. I like how Garrett thinks 25 miles is all the way to Wisconsin, too. <laughs> Just whipping 25 miles back and forth <laughs> at like 50 miles an hour. Guys, we created teleportation. <laughs> Everyone that goes on the bridge just disappears. <laughs> in and then they pop out on the other side. Yeah. No, one ever, no one knows how. And no one can remember. <laughs> Their car just full of vomit. <laughs> Dumb. I'm sorry. I'm so bad with numbers, especially with like American numbers. I just like, I say it and it sounds right. It's just like, no, that's not right at all, Malcolm. <laughs> Garrett's so, yeah. bad with height too, so it's okay. Yeah, so, don't even ask me how, how tall the bridge is. <laughs> I was just going to ask that. It's like 25 feet. That's my <laughs> Five feet tall, 25, 25 miles wide. <laughs> it's only two lanes, though. <laughs> <laughs> Getting back on track. Um, so yeah, again, uh, I- installing that uh, that roadway had to allow for that flexibility um, from the lessons learned to allow uh, for that bridge to sway enough that it wouldn't have that airlift and that buildup of air that could um, deteriorate it over time. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about those who constructed the bridge, because this was not a safe endeavor. Like I said, about 500 uh, steelworkers worked on this bridge, and... um you know, it was not an easy or a safe venture. Uh, obviously, the first riskiest job was the, uh, the divers who had to go down and sink the cylinders into the lake floor. Unfortunately, one of them died um, from doing this. One of the divers died. He came up too fast. He came up too fast um, from the dive. Got uh, the the when you dive and you come up too fast, you can it's actually like get air bubbles, air bubbles in your blood veins that then cause. Yeah, um, basically your heart to stop, and that's what happened. So he came up too fast. He had that, and he was alive for a little while, but he was not able to recover. They were not able to stabilize him, and he passed away from that. Uh, one man, one man fell from the tower uh, during its construction during the cabling, and then three iron workers fell from the catwalk when one of the sections of the catwalk collapsed. Again, you got to remember these catwalks were not, you know, they were catwalks. They were really up high to be able to run all of that cabling, and a section of it did collapse, and then caused uh, three workers to unfortunately lose their lives. Uh, these. Five men, despite myth, are not buried in or <laughs> on the bridge. Uh, there's a rumor out there that uh, they're actually built into the bridge somehow. Uh, but there is a plaque on the bridge that memorializes the five of them and what they gave to in order to accomplish this uh, construction of this mighty, mighty Mac bridge. Um, in terms of the bridge today, the bridge is marveled as one of the greatest engineering achievements of the 20th century. The bridge had its 100 millionth crossing on June. June 25th, 1998, which was exactly, I believe, 40 years from the date that it was completed, which is kind of cool. 
Um, and in addition, it has been uh, going through, uh, just kind of recently, it's been going through a strip and repaint project uh, costing approximately another $80 million over the course of 20 years that will be completed. And a roadway update uh, just recently started in 2016 as well. So they're slowly kind of doing some updates. But in terms <laughs> of the actual structure of the bridge and the bridge as a engineerical structure in and of itself is expected to last a thousand years. Um, so we're not even really a hundred years in yet and we got about, you know, 900 years to go, which is pretty incredible, honestly, because like considering how expensive it is, how, uh, dangerous it is and the engineering feat that they accomplished with this bridge. It's also kind of, kind of crazy to me that in, what are we at today? Like 60 some years of history and of the bridge that the five workers that passed away. And then there's only two non-workers who have ever like died on the bridge. Yeah. True. Um, and one, one is that like the, the whole old folk tale of being blown off the bridge. That is quite literally still to this day, like the scariest thing that I've ever thought of is being blown off the Mackinac bridge. Um, but like, it's a, it's kind of crazy. Like how, quite dangerous it is but at the same time relatively safe Safe, yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's that's a really good point um and we've really seen that with uh with this bridge it's, it's quite a marvel honestly and it's one mm-hmm. of those things where it, it, it's so big too and it's so kind of incredible that it's one of those things like you have to see it to believe it like yeah, you could describe it yeah. to you you could see a photo of it and be like oh it was a big bridge the <laughs> other the good other job big bridge but like until you're like right there in front of you mm-hmm. and you see it or you drive on it it's like wow this is the other thing kind of that kind of like is just culturally crazy to me is like the bridge to Michiganders is like a very key part of like our state's image. But if you were to ask like someone from like Arizona or like another just part of the state that doesn't really get to Michigan, like what is the Mackinac bridge? They'd be like, I don't know. Like, like to us, it's such like a core part of like our state's like image, but like around, Identity, yeah. yeah, around the like country, they're like, I don't care. I don't care about your stupid bridge. <laughs> Fifth longest, not longest. Oh, okay. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Infrastructure is never sexy to anybody. <laughs> like it's, ne- It never does very well when it has to hit the, the floor of Congress for an infrastructure bill. It's never something people want to talk about. So we did a whole podcast episode on it. On the All bridge. Right. So would either of you have volunteered to build the bridge? <laughs> Heck No. No. That's I don't think you'd danger. want I mean, me there. <laughs> I cannot imagine being on that catwalk up there. No, like, I'm not one terrifying. that's like really scared of heights. But when you put me up that high, I'm mm-hmm. gonna be scared, and that's insane. Yeah. I'm trying to mess around with those twenty, like two feet wide in diameter cables. That mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm sure they were using cranes and machinery to lift these, but just to budge them a little bit, just to push oh, that a little it's bit. It's like it the fifties. It's the fifties. Like the it's 50s, not even. Yeah, like it's not even today. Like it's just. To yeah, me, it's just a bunch of guys. Regulations. It's just like a bunch like that, of guys yeah. with slicked back hair and like white shirts and like leather jackets, and they're like, Rah. "It's like the <laughs> building. I'm building the bridge, eh? It's like the old. It's like Greece. They're just snapping their fingers and singing songs about hooking up with women while they build the bridge. Building the bridge. Oh my gosh. Well, we've really devolved this episode now. <laughs> All right, so with that, we've kind of explained how the Mackinac Bridge was was built, why it came to be, everything about that. And we'd like to thank you again for listening to another episode of Historians and Later Hosen. If you liked it, please leave us a review. If you didn't like it, please tell us how we can get better. And with that, we'll see you later. Auf Wiedersehen.